Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, my co-host, Pastor Lance Hahn, and I will be concluding our four-part series entitled, What Does It Mean to Be Pro-Life? We'll be wrapping up the series by talking about abortion and euthanasia. How can our faith inform the way we think about the beginning of life and the end of life? How can we think in a nuanced and biblical manner about these two critical issues? These questions and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right. Well, welcome to the Engaging Culture Podcast, Season 1, Episode 25. Brian Kiley, along with Pastor Lance Hahn. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. Good How to are see you? you? Good. I'm doing excellent. It's good to see you. Ready for a lighthearted discussion of two very um, wow. simple and non-emotional issues. Wow. Uh, you know what? Uh, um, there's a lot of times that you and I walk into this room and we go, wow, we are woefully inadequate to talk <laughs> about this. This is one where I particularly feel super not ready. Not not yeah. ready in the sense of it, there's so much to it, and I feel like we're gonna scratch the surface, yep. and then and, and really we're gonna say something like dumb or or, or or like totally inappropriate or whatever. And um, so I would like to apologize to all listeners right off the bat, yes, because the, you and I are coming to this with somewhat of logic and wisdom mm-hmm. concepts. Yep, there are some that are living in this. 24 hours a day and all their passion of their entire life is built into this concept. And they're going to go, wow, did you poorly display that? And any, yes, anytime you have expertise in something and you have to listen to two non-experts talk about it, it it is is, so maddening. It is awful. It is really, really (laughs) difficult. So, um, yes, I echo Lance's apology for the inadequate way that we're going to handle this subject today, but we're going to do our best. And this series was supposed to be three parts. Yes, it Lance, was. And we are in part four. Yes, This is we going are. to be the final part, no matter how far we get. <laughs> right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. And I, I just thought it'd be interesting to talk for a minute. As you, as we're at the end of this series, it's gone on for, for a few months now because we even had a break in the middle where we did a different episode and our episodes are only twice a month. What, what are kind of your reflections on this series and how has it been for you and, and what are some, kind of some takeaways from it for you? Uh, probably the first thing that comes to mind is, is what was our original hope? Our original hope was that we could not only engage in very, very important topics and really get them out on the table, right, for discussion, but um, we knew we were going to be walking into territory where you and I did not agree. And we thought that was going, going to be better. And in my opinion, Absolutely. I think it was very good that you and I didn't agree on all things, that we could show that we were both passionate and yet we were balanced in listening to each other. So uh, in my opinion, even though we didn't get to the depth of all of them, I think that we could probably do you know eight-hour podcasts and not even get close. Oh, no question. But I really feel like um, we were fair to one another. I feel like we demonstrated um, some passionate disagreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I felt really, really good about it. Um, anyway, what do you think? Yeah, I, I certainly share that sentiment. I think that, uh, like you said, or like, like you sort of alluded to, part of the heart of the, the podcast was not only to, to talk through these difficult issues, but to model some semblance of healthy disagreement. This idea that, that we're friends and we're ministry partners and all of that, and, and we don't view things the same. I mean, so much of our culture is so polarized and, and there is like diversity of thinking is very important. And I think Arguing persuasively for what you believe is very important, but the idea that there always has to be division or there always has to be mudslinging, obviously that's unhealthy. Now, the funny part of all of this, this is something you and I talked about off the air, is that, I mean, you and I have how many dozens of conversations a week and like they're all great. Like they're all 
positive. I mean, a lot of times they're serious because yep, we're talking about serious stuff, but we very rarely have, you know, disagreements. But those are all conversations that have just, we have at the office where people aren't watching. Yes. So my thought was, man, if, if all people see is us going on the podcast and arguing for an hour, they're like, I'm worried. I don't think they get along. You know? so. <laughs> it is. I mean, you got to, you as um, an audience got a chance to engage with a very, very tiny portion of our relationship, right? Because we do. We, we agree on so many things um, and we're of the same mind. Uh, however, we did think it was important to still present that, but, but don't misunderstand. Yeah. We, I mean... 99.9% of the time, you're going to be, uh, you know, completely soothed, yes, right? There's lots By of the fact that there is yeah. constant alignment and there's a lot of laughter and there's yeah. a lot of camaraderie. No question about it. Um, as we, as we get into, begin to get into the content for today, I think it's important to reiterate something that we've mentioned before. And that is that, uh, these issues are not about at least the approach that, that pastor Lance and I take, it is not about politics or any sort of partisan agenda. I mean, Lance and I, well, we love you wherever you are on the political spectrum. I mean, neither one of us would, would claim or accept a label like conservative or liberal for ourselves. Uh, we're not members of a political party and, and I don't, I don't have a side to defend at all in terms of, of uh, how a person might label themselves. And if anything, in fact, I was just having coffee with a guy this morning and it was describing my frustration with talking about these issues because in talking about abortion, I'm going to sound very conservative, but I'm not conservative. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a significant critic of a lot of what is labeled conservative. But when we talked about gun control, I sounded very liberal. Right, right. Uh, and, and I would say absolutely the same thing. I have some significant criticisms. Now, I don't focus on that as much because there's not just not as many evangelicals in that space. So I don't feel the need to, to engage with those ideas as critically necessarily, but it's still there. I still have, I find it problematic. So I think for our listeners, you just have to understand if you want to write one of us off as being, oh, you're just conservative. Oh, you're just liberal. I would check that impulse and say, well, maybe are you just saying that because we're challenging maybe what you already think? Right. Because we don't claim either of those either of those labels. Well, and even though we can't get into all the details of it, I think that almost on some of these issues, we almost trade sides in the sense yeah. that I tend to be more liberal in some of these issues that we're talking about today, whereas you're a bit more conservative. And so if everyone's going, oh, well, it's really clear Lance is a conservative guy and Brian's a liberal guy, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And we've got to keep blowing that stuff up. Yeah. Stop assuming that, you know, we already know what everybody thinks, right? right? Uh, oh, I know everything you think. No, right. no. And, and especially those of us that are nuancing and we're addressing issues and nuances of issues. Right. For me, I am a split hairs guy. Mm -hmm. I am a, you dive into the minutia and you go, listen, I agree with 93% of this, this 7%, I don't agree. Yeah. And, and I really get down into that stuff. So whenever somebody tries to broad stroke or stereotype me, uh, it gets very frustrating because I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. So yes. anyway, so we're going to get very into good. a couple of those things. I just don't want anyone to paint you unfairly either. Right. Yes. I think that's that's important for for both of us, for sure. So uh, the question, what does it mean to be pro-life, obviously encompasses a lot. And that's sort of the 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 flip side of what I just said about, hey, I, you know, I don't, I don't take a conservative label or a liberal label. But to me, these issues are related. The way I feel about abortion, the way I feel about guns, the way I feel about war, like that's, they're all guided by the similar set of values. And that's part of why I wanted to do this series to say for me to be pro-life, like it means a lot. Abortion is a big part of it, but it's not the whole thing. But we're obviously, like you said at, at the start, 
we're only scratching the surface on these issues. And there are some issues we're just not addressing in this, no. this series. Are there any other issues that for you, you would say are a big part of the pro-life discussion that maybe we're just not able to cover in, in this yeah. series? Well, I think that, um, as you could tell from the title of this, we're going to be talking about euthanasia and abortion, but we're going to only briefly talk about suicide. There's just a couple yeah. pieces that I need to touch in on that because of their particularly sensitive issues for people. Um, but we're not going to be able to dive into that. Right. We're not going to be able to get into the, the heaviness of that. I think that would be another subject that I would have put on there. Um, I think that we did not get very far into the discussion of police force. Yeah, um, We kind of had to skip past that because we, we dove a little bit more into war. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, I think there's still plenty of issues about uh, sanctity of life and human rights violations and um, – ethnicity that I would still want to dig in more onto. I would, yeah. uh, you know, talking a little bit about genocide in the world, the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it can just spill out into a million ways. And we really did not have a freedom to go into all those. Yeah, certainly the issue of, of human rights, even even things like economic supply chains and, yes. and human rights in the midst of in the midst of all of that is is you could very easily make the argument that's a that's a pro-life issue is economic justice and and things like that in, in various human rights situations around the world and even domestically. Well, um, and it also ties into um, government policies of how we are treating other countries, even countries that we would consider at enemies. Yeah. Um, and not even through a war concept, but just through um, embargoes and different things about quality of life that we diminish. Um, yeah. Is that okay? You know, um, we're hurting some people that right. that are economically poor. Um, so anyway, things like that. Yeah, it's very complex. For for me, another another big one that we just aren't able to get into is healthcare. Yeah, uh, what does it mean to be pro life on on healthcare? I I had I've had convictions about that for a long time. Um, those were heightened by a situation in my own family where it was prior to my wife and I having jobs where healthcare was was part of our our job, and we had to go out and get healthcare and how difficult that was given very. I, shockingly minor stuff in my my wife's medical history and that really again the conviction was already there but to me that strengthened my conviction regarding just the need for accessibility to healthcare and man that is so complicated and and there's so much to get in and there's plenty of room for debate and discussion but to me uh healthcare is huge and and we have to pay attention to it if we're going to really call ourselves pro-life, even though we're not talking about it in the series. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, abortion and euthanasia, how, if at all, in your mind, Lance, are these issues related? Yeah, I think the the whole thing comes back to um, life. Uh, first of all, the, the, the first piece where they tie into, uh, for us as believers, is God is the author of life. God is the sustainer of life. God holds the keys to death and hell. Yeah. Um, God holds the keys to the grave. The, the, right off the bat, the thing that hits me more as a theologian and stuff like that is what rights do we have as his creation to make determinations over life if he is indeed the author of life? Now, right. it doesn't matter whether or not that's life coming into this world or stepping out of this world, right? right? I mean, we're going to touch on it briefly in the issues of suicide, things like that, because I believe that suicide and euthanasia are very heavily linked. Mm -hmm. But so for me, I think they're linked on rights of a human being to make determinations. Hmm. Um, I, I also think uh, they really, really are, and this is, this is going to be a little bit controversial, but um, quality of life. Hmm. The issue of quality of life 
is heavily tied into both of them, right? And when we say that, what we mean by quality of life is what does that even look like? Wait, when do you say that I'm really living? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or what is diminishing my ability to live? What is life, yeah. right? Because that's a that's a big issue. Is life merely surviving? Some people mm. would say if I was merely surviving, I'm not alive. Everyone defines life as something different. And where's that quality, right? Um, and if the quality diminishes, does that give us new rights? Right. You know what I'm saying? And who's so, who's determining that? Who's who is, making who those is, decisions? Who's making those calls? That's yeah. a that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, and and certainly from a spiritual perspective, this this idea of how do you apply our conviction that that God is sort of the author of life, God is the author of death, and and all of that. How does that apply to the way you understand beginning of life questions and end of life questions? And I think there are some areas where that is clear. There are some areas where that is extraordinarily complex. So, uh, and we're going to get into some of that today. Now, we could easily um, put our audience to sleep with an hour of conversation on this next question. So let's not do that. <laughs> but we do need to touch on it. And there is some terminology that we need to get straight if we're going to discuss abortion appropriately. What is that? Yeah, what is what is abortion? What is what is what is well not even what is abortion, but what is what is some of the terminology that we need to have or that we need to be clear on how how we're defining it if we're going to have this conversation. Yeah. So um, as we were doing research, there was different things where they would come in and they would say it was an induced abortion and everything. Well, what we got into is just saying, listen, there is a miscarriage, which is a body um, saying I cannot hold on to this this baby mm-hmm. i cannot it it has to be expelled that is a natural expulsion mm-hmm. anything that comes from an outside force that is saying that it's not through the natural processes of the body where it's more through induced whether that's medically through medications mm-hmm. that cause an expulsion of a baby or whether or not it is a um a procedure mm-hmm. where a, where a baby is removed Anything that is from an external source like that would be more considered under the definition of abortion. Mm-hmm. It is a removal of a pregnancy. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Now, what are some issues we need to consider that can inform our thinking about the subject? Um, well, that's so broad. Um, what are <laughs> some issues we need to think about? Okay. So here's a couple things. I'm just going to start throwing out some crazy concepts that I don't think everybody is thinking about. When we think about abortion, we tend to get into discussions about first trimester abortions or we, or we get into discussions about second trimester abortions or third. And that is the idea where you would go in and have a procedure. What most people are not aware of is things like, well, what if we discuss the issue of IVF? What if we start talking about in vitro fertilization? Mm-hmm. What about the idea of a, a sperm and an egg being fused together and then put on deep freeze. Let's say that we now have pulled out and we have uh, 32 viable egg sperm connections where they're beginning to fertilize and they're they're beginning to develop. We then put pause. We ultimately end up fertilizing one or two of those and we have children. Yeah. 
what happens to those other 33, right? So right. IVF, um, the other idea of, of implanting and then them washing through, is that how does that work, right? So mm-hmm. IVF is actually a huge deal. I have a lot of people that I love and care about that have gone through the IVF process. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, praying blessing about the IVF process, right, in, yeah. in so many people that I love. But it's complicated. Yeah. Now, if you jump another step further... Um, when I start throwing out a lot of stats about um, unwanted pregnancies and I start talking about globally things that have to do with why um, global abortions are had, most people are going to default and go, why don't you take care of the process before we get to this place? Mm-hmm. Ah, now you're talking about birth control. That brings in a whole nother slew of questions oh, yeah. um, because here's the thing. What type of birth control methods are you using? So if you're going to go to the extreme pro-life ticket, let's go a little bit further, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a stance against certain types of uh, birth control, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, what they would consider abortive methods of birth control, which is the idea that if it if your birth control that you're taking after the the sperm and the egg uh, begin to try to adhere, mm-hmm. it then creates a wash and washes it out. So whether you're saying is it sucked out by a doctor or is it washed out by pills, is a medical induced abortion or a birth control induced abortion? Do you understand yeah. how it starts getting oh, really it, complicated? Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 so a lot of us. Um, have utilized different pills. Mm-hmm. Not all pills are equal. Yeah. So, so once again, diving into that and start saying, well, what does this mean? And, and, and this implantation device and how does this work? So it starts opening up and you start going down this rabbit hole, right? right. And you're like falling like Alice in Wonderland. And you're like, wow, I'm in a totally different world. Yeah. If we're going to talk about this concept. Yeah. So what am I missing? That you is, thinking? No, I, I, I think, man, Nothing like two dudes sitting around talking birth control, right? But uh, oh, <laughs> we apologize to all Sorry, females. This listening. just feels very weird. But man, I think you you are absolutely correct that the issue surrounding what is and is not abortive as it pertains to birth control, man, that is that is tricky to pin down a definition uh, on a lot of these different different methods. That's that's for sure. So that's a, that's one side of it. I think uh, another side that is that is really important, completely different, is the economics of abortion. Uh, I mean, we'll get into this in a second, but in terms of my own views, I want there to be zero abortions. I don't like abortion. I don't want abortion to happen. Amen. But I don't think it's as simple as let's just make it illegal. Now, I'm not saying I'm against anyway. It's complex. But <laughs> what I'm saying what I am saying is we need to pay attention to some of the reasons why abortions occur. And we need to pay attention to the fact that a lot of it is economic. That if we're going to truly be pro-life in the sense of reducing abortions, we need to look at things like prenatal prenatal care. We need to look at things like uh, paid family leave. We need to look at things like support services offered to single parents. We need to look at things like uh, subsidized child care or early childhood education. We need to acknowledge the fact that raising a child is prohibitively expensive for a lot of individuals in this country and certainly globally, and that that is a big reason why a lot of individuals choose to end their pregnancy. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not defending that choice. I don't think that that those pregnancies should be ended. And I would I would absolutely counsel somebody in that place against it. But I think it is worth a broader conversation to say as a society, 
how can we create systems where giving birth to a child is not uh, economically devastating or a woman, particularly if she's single, unmarried or you know young or just in a position where uh, it's going to be an extraordinary hardship for her, how can we make sure that it's not as much of a hardship? How do we streamline adoption processes? How do we do all these different things that make carrying a baby to term more viable? Now, I'm not at all, again, I'm not defending an abortion that is done for economic reasons, but I am saying we need to look at this holistically and not just say, well, we need to make abortion illegal and that's it. Because it's just, there has to be more to that from a compassion perspective and from a, from a position of not simply being pro-birth, which I am pro-birth, but being pro-life in the sense that we're enabling or at least promoting human flourishing. Well, I think the word that you use that really wraps up kind of what you were saying was holistic, right? You're trying to look at a holistic solution that if we simply just attack it from one direction, I think that's a lack of wisdom. I don't think it's practically helpful. I think that if we're going to look at it holistically, we can say, listen, everyone's going to have opinions all the way across the board. But if we truly want to seek to um, have more babies born, Mm -hmm. if we want to protect more babies in the womb, Mm -hmm. there's more than we can do rather than just illegal, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to address all these other issues. Now, like you said, um, when you get into the economics of abortion, now (laughs) I have to say, um, (laughs) so so Pastor Brian uh, would send articles my way, I would send research his way. He sent me an article called The Economics of Abortion uh, by Amelia Stewart that was written on January 27th of 2017. And to clarify, yes. just because I send articles doesn't mean I'm endorsing them. I just send, hey, let's read this and consider it. So just for our listeners, I know you know that, but just for our listeners, I'm not endorsing either way contents. This is just stuff we process. So, you know anyway, what? And honestly, I, I would have slipped on that because I think... I always assume you're just looking for different facts that help us to look around and say, there's this perspective and this pers-. I never okay. think that you're automatically endorsing something. Right. Cool. Good clarification. Um, but here's what was interesting. Out of all the stuff that you sent me, this one made me the most mad. I like got really personally agitated by this article. Um, and uh, just to give you guys an idea yeah. why. So um, this lady had written an article talking about that – as Trump has been putting in some things in place and some historic legal manners by which abortions have become less um, easy to obtain, Mm -hmm. things like that, uh, more barriers and stuff. She was talking about the practical cost and who it affects, right? So some of it was very helpful. For example, she talked about um, that, that out of all these things, there was things like the no taxpayer funding for abortion and the Abortion Insurance Full Disclosure Act, the subsidy through Obamacare, how Medicaid works with it, right? So she was dealing mm-hmm. with all that, and she said this will affect lower-income women the most. Now, right there, that is where the compassion part of us should start going. None of us should be cool about the fact that rich people can do whatever they want mm-hmm. and poor people can't. Yeah. That, that right there should bother someone. And a lot of times the wealthy will argue on abortion from a very ignorant perspective. Hmm. There's always an assumption that you have access to medical care or there's an yeah. assumption. And, and you have to be careful. Not everybody lives like you live. If yeah. you're in poverty, not everybody's in poverty. If you live outside of poverty or in the the top 3%, not everybody lives there. That's right. by definition. So- 
So what I want to encourage everybody to do is start thinking through, what if I wasn't like me? Because here's the other thing. It's not just about the U.S. Yeah. So let's go to a developing country, right? Those used to be called third world countries. They're Mm -hmm. now called developing countries. Mm -hmm. And you go to a place where there is no healthcare at all. And you go, okay, so what do we do there? Let's make sure that we're not making um, rules for everybody assuming they have what we have. They may not, right? So um, here's the parts that really agitated me about the article. There was two of them. Number one is she referred to these changes. One of the main changes that came through this administration was she called the global gag rule. Yeah. Okay. And um, I'm not even sure what the global gag rule implies. Do you have any memory of what? Because what she was talking about um, was all these limitations, right? right? Uh, it was kind of like a package deal. I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak. No, yeah, I th- that's right. I think it has to do with uh, any any sort of organization that is performing abortions or or promoting abortions or anything like that is is not. You know what? You keep talking. Oh, you know what? I know what it, it is. It is the global gag rule. Is the NGOs the non government? That's okay. They were the ones that are have been banned from talking about when they can get abortions and when they can't. Right. So worldwide. They were saying you cannot talk about the access to abortion. Yeah. Requi- that would be the gag rule. Requires any overseas organization receiving U.S. aid not have anything to do with abortion. So, okay. There you go. So anyway, so the, it was known as the global gag rule. All right. Anyway, here's what bothered me. This is the quote from her article. The global gag rule will be responsible for 6.5 million unintended pregnancies 2.2 million abortions, 2.1 million unsafe abortions, 21,700 maternal deaths by 2020. Okay, here's my problem with that. Wait, a law is going to be responsible for unwanted pregnancies. You lost me. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. If the pregnancy was unwanted, the parents are responsible. Mm-hmm. automatically it is not an external force that's going to be responsible for <laughs> implanting unwanted pregnancies into people right it is not responsible for creating a lack of love towards children those exist it now makes things difficult mm-hmm. so I, wh- that's the part that really made me mad about the article is you go stop saying that this rule or whatever is going to cause unwanted pregnancies it can't do that Right. And that is a manipulative uh, tool, right? So it was sheerly slanted. Here's the other one that really bothered me. This was her argument. She said, abortion legalization also changes the kind of children who are born. She was saying this positively. Fewer children are raised in single-parent families. Fewer children grow up on benefits like welfare. Fewer children grow up in poverty. Abortion legalization changes the kind of children that are born. Whoa, Mm -hmm. you just slipped into a completely messed up area when you said that phrase, lady. Here's why. Uh, Abortion legalization gets rid of people like me. I was a single parent child. Mm -hmm. We did have to buy food on food stamps for a very, very tiny amount of time until my mom could get back up on her feet from cancer. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, uh, okay, what you just said was people like me we don't need more people like me right. because they're not the best kind of children. Yeah. 
So that's what got me so inflamed about this article. I understand the practical economics and her running numbers. I think that's wonderful and beautiful. But the statement she was making about value were freaking me out. Yeah, I completely agree. I've 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 run across statistics like that all the time that talk about uh, the effects of of abortion legalization on sort of the demographics of the population. And I I find those I find appealing to those statistics to be so problematic because essentially what it's saying is instead of us as a society saying how do we how do we create a kind of a rising tide lifts up all boats kind of thing instead of creating that mentality where we say hey let's figure out a way that we can support single parents. Let's figure out a way that we can support those who are in poverty. Instead, we say, well, actually, access to abortion, it tends to be those sorts of people who are having the procedures. So there's less of them. So we don't have to worry about them. We can just eliminate the poor and we don't have to worry about them. Dang. Yeah. So that's what got my blood uh, boiling in this article. I was like, wow, I was like, I am going to freak out right now. (laughs) Because once again, for me to talk about being pro-life, um, I I do have a value for who Jesus has a value for, which is the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those that are having difficulty. To me, once again, um, when we get into this conversation, my mom has run, since I was 11 years old, Mm -hmm. an an organization, a business, to take care of children with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, uh, all my life I've been around children with disabilities, uh, children that cannot breathe on their own, children that cannot. So when I read all these articles of saying, um, well, you know what, you can't have this child without it having some type of deficiency. And I'm like, man, my life has been surrounded by children with dis- deficiency, and I've seen their beauty. Yeah, I've seen their glory. So, so once again, all this is super personal to me in a lot of ways. Right. But I also want to counter all of that. There's less some people start going, oh, I know where Pastor Lance is going. <laughs> uh, be real careful on that because here's the other thing. I also have seen, um, just like Democratic Democratic votes, views and Republican views. Um, like, for example, on issues um, where they seem to be opposed, they both seem to be protecting somebody. I love when someone protects someone else. Mm-hmm. And what I found in the pro-life, pro-choice argument is protecting babies or protecting women. Mm-hmm. And I went, yes, I love protecting babies. I love protecting women. And so in one sense, I want to balance it out and say I am not one of those dig in uh, shame all women. I minister to women right. who have had abortions. Yeah. I have had some that have had it and they still feel like that was probably the right decision. Mm-hmm. And I have some that have been crushed by it. Mm-hmm. And every time we're out there, you know, some, some Christians are out there picketing with, you know, the horrific posters. It's reminder of their hurt and their pain. And I'm going, wow, isn't there a better way to talk about this, the, the issue. Right. So I don't want everyone to hear that, hear what I'm saying and immediately go, oh, well, Pastor Lance is the picketing guy and all that stuff. Whoa. Yeah. I'm actually not. And we can obviously get into that later, but. Yeah. And, and you can disagree with a perspective. Like I think, I think the, the heart of protecting women is obviously fantastic. And I'm completely with you on that. Now, where I would push back as it pertains to this issue is Framing the issue in a way that says, well, for the sake of protecting women, we need to keep abortion readily accessible. I think that there uh, now I think you can make the argument that if we shut down, if we shut shut down abortion entirely and without 
kind of backfilling, you know, creating social services and things like that that support women, I think you can make the argument that that is very, very hard on women. But I think that you can also say, well, let's protect women, but also protect babies. I don't think you have to. I think that's a false choice uh, that that speaks to, in some ways, the political divide on this issue and all of that. But I think that we can come together and say, well, actually, let's figure out a way to support women. Let's figure out a way to support especially those who are going to be economically challenged by this. But let's also do it in a way where we're not talking about terminating pregnancies. I, I think you can do that. And no, I think so. Yeah. I think so, too. I, uh, but but once again, every time you address a problem, you have to look at the context. Yep. So here's the context. Women have not been in power historically, uh-huh. whether we go through millennia. And so women have been told what to do by men. So yeah. even in this scenario of if a woman is, you know, it's illegal for a woman to be able to do this and she has this forced upon her by either men in her life, whether it is uh, rape or incest or whether or not it is a abusive husband or it is these types of things. So some organizations are looking and they're talking about protecting women in that way. Mm-hmm. They're saying, listen, if we go even to another culture and in that culture, women are be able to Im- be impregnated by all men in the village, then you have to go, listen. You're protecting the woman by saying this will wreck her. This will kill her if that is allowed to continue. So uh, I'm just saying we got to blow it out a little wider than simply, hey, in suburbia, we all have these. That's not the case in all the world. And so I do think that there are some organizations out there really trying to defend and protect women against things being forced upon them. And that is a protection. Not all abortion is because they wanted it. Right. There's a lot of other things going on. Yes, and it is improper to to lay the decision for an abortion entirely at the feet of the woman involved. As you as you gave sort of the example of of, of various things in cultures around the world where it is it is actually the extraordinary irresponsibility of men that is creating this incredibly toxic environment where first of all women are not respected to begin with and then second of all they're they're left to to deal with these pregnancies they never yes. anyway. It's just it's a mess. So. Well, that's the thing is that you can have um, a man make a decision that the woman is left with Yep. And now she has to deal with his problem, yep. right? Yep. And and then you kind of go, well, that's all right. So let's talk for a moment because another thing that we looked at in in articles was the reasons why women have mm-hmm. abortions. Yep. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of stats here for a moment. Cool. Um, one of the articles I think was clearly slanted, um, but it referred to a institute called the Guttmacher Institute. Um, uh, I went back through and looked through the Guttmacher Institute, and that is a world organization that's that's housed here in the U.S. that is wanting to, according to them, promote reproductive health, uh, birth control, uh, stop unwanted pregnancies around the world. They are not a Christian organization. They are a secular organization, and their whole idea is we don't want any unwanted pregnancies around the world because ultimately it's bad not only for society, it's bad for the children. Now, their solution is pro-abortion, okay? So right off the bat, you got to understand what their bent is. Other people have taken their report that was done in 2004, and it was a survey of 1,209 post-abortive women in nine different facilities, and they examined why they got abortion. So um, so they were, they were using a bunch of different... Uh, you can slant numbers all over the place. Yeah. Right. Well, because there was there was 
one set of data allowed women to check, like sort of check all of these boxes or check all that apply for reasons. And then there was another set that said, okay, what is the most significant reason why you had an abortion? And obviously you get very different, you get a very different impression depending on which set of data you're looking at. So go ahead. Uh, One of the things was that only 23% of respondents identified the inability to afford a child as the main reason for having an abortion, right? So economically, I can't have a baby because of how expensive everything is. You want to, can I tell you what I think is the craziest word in that sentence, that first sentence, the word only 23% is a ton. There are so many abortions (laughs) that happen around the world. We are talking about so many lives that are ending because of economic, because of abortions that happen for economic reasons. Now, again, I'm not defending that choice, but I am just saying that as a society, that should be an alarm bell for us to realize there if you if we really really care about this issue that there are i mean how many hundreds of thousands if not more around the world of pregnancies that are ended of babies that do not get a chance at life because of economic conditions that is uh, that is serious be, i think everyone has to be careful because when we hear that sometimes we default into the place of saying you would check that box if you said i couldn't afford to have my mink furs Meaning right. I, it would affect my economics right. to not continue my station of life. Yeah. A very sort of suburban, yes. you know, middle class approach to but it. We would, yeah. But sometimes that's where our mind defaults to. They could yeah. still check the box. 23% could still check the box to say, I can't afford a child because mm-hmm. my lifestyle does not support it. They can still yeah, check that true. box. That's you know what point. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but here was, here was the point. 8% of the respondents said the main reason was that they didn't want to be a single parent. Uh, 4% said that uh, school or work concerns were the most important reason, meaning I, I can't keep my job or whatever. Um, 25% of the respondents said, I'm not ready for a child right now. Okay. So that was, of course, the big stickler one. Yeah. Saying, I don't want to be pregnant. Just uh, There's no real reason why I don't. Just emotionally, I don't want to be pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's where that big war rages, is in that, that 25%. Yep. Um, less than 0.5, not even 1%, but half of a 1% uh, cited rape as their main reason for abortion. Um, and then, let's see, 6% cited parental pressure. 14% cited partner pressure. Um Anyway, so wait, hang on. Parents, parental pressure. I'm looking at less than 0.5 percent. That wasn't. I don't think that was six percent. Six percent was other at the very bottom. I think that's an important clarification, only because that's a big difference. Six <laughs> percent versus. No, that's 0.5. a huge difference. So, I, so. I, I'm once again, I'm reading off Spielman's article. Sorry, he must have cited it wrong. All right. Oh, so, right. sorry. You're reading the Guttmacher Institute, Yes, I'm reading. Right? I got the chart in front of me here. Okay, yeah, let's, so. let's stick with theirs. Yeah. There seems to be all the other more no, All the other numbers you said have been the same as what I have. Um, this one I thought was fascinating. Um, somewhere in the report, this guy says, now I don't have it in front of me, so we're going to have to once again trust this dude. Um, he said, Guttmacher reports that, quote, of the 38 respondents who were interviewed at length, meaning out of all those women, there were some women, they just had a big, long interview. Yeah. More than one third said they considered placing their baby for adoption, but concluded that it was morally unconscionable option because giving one's child away is wrong. Wow. So isn't that weird? So because um, they go, oh, no, what do I do? 
I guess I'm going to have to have an abortion because adoption's wrong. And it was like, it's yeah. just such a, a, a different, yeah, wow. I, weird way to look at it. I, I have a hard time with that one. That that just, that argument does not make a lot of sense to it, me. It seemed very odd. Yeah. Um, and I think what it does, it goes back to, and this is what we're going to talk about in a moment, but I think it goes back to most people are against abortion because they believe it hurts a child. Mm-hmm. They do not. Most people are not against abortion because they believe it is a violation of the sanctity of life, or that it's that it's a violation of God's right. I think most people are against abortion because they think it harms a child, and because of that view, to have a child live a full life in pain, or a full life unwanted, mm-hmm. or a full life in problems, it'd be it's more conscionable to end it before they know it than to allow them to walk through the pain. I think that's where they would come with that argument. I don't agree with you. Sure. Argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm I mean, saying I'm trying to reach right. I'm yeah. trying to reach where they're coming from. Yeah. All right. So according to the Gutmacher Institute, um, there are fifty six million abortions each year worldwide. So fifty six million is is quite a few. Globally, twenty five percent, one fourth end in abortion of all those. So one fourth of all Wait, hang on. End in abortion? 56 million abortions and one-fourth end in abortion? No, 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 no. <laughs> 25% of all pregnancies. Oh, sorry. Unwanted pregnancies. Oh, got it. Okay. In the of world. pregnancies. Got it. Okay. And in abortion. Sorry. Um, so maybe I, maybe I said that wrong. Um, so it says, and they said in their document, quote, most women who have an abortion do so because they become pregnant when they do not intend to. In developing countries, 84% of unintended pregnancies occur among women who have an unmet need for modern contraception. Wow. So in other words, when you don't have access to birth control, that leads to more unwanted pregnancies. So once again, we default back into that argument of can't we stop this before we get to the abortion place? Yeah. Let's use birth control. Oh, wait. Now birth control is under fire for what type of birth control and is it a problem? And then you start jumping back. That's why, you know, you all of a sudden start sliding into a a traditional Roman Catholic view, which is you can't use any birth control at all because God's going to do what God's going to do. And as a result, my dad is one of eight kids (laughs) (laughs) from my my practicing Catholic grandparents. So So last stat stat on that was um, uh, as... An estimated 99 million unintended pregnancies occur each year worldwide. Wow. It's a big so, number. Yeah. So, and, and the idea is that there are tons and tons and tons. That's almost 1 billion yeah. babies that are coming, supposed to come into this world, and people don't want them there. It's a lot. And, and, and so, when we're talking about these staggering numbers, mm-hmm. we have to say, Okay, we have we have some type of perception problem here about what is a baby and and can I even operate my body and my life with the understanding of what is a possible outcome. Yeah. This is the frustration I have is that why are we always making babies pay for stuff and children pay for stuff that we ultimately are responsible for. Yeah. It is a very very tiny percentage in the US that is rape and incest or forced sex. Mm-hmm. Now globally it's huge. Yeah. So a different different sure, ball totally game, different, different ball game. Yeah. But in the US it is rarely a forced 
pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So that means it is an accidental pregnancy. And what I, I guess where I tend to get very, very conservative is that I believe in personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I believe in the idea of saying, when you say that was an accident, <sighs> yes and no. Okay, I, I got to be very careful on the whole accident thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was walking down the street and someone, uh, and I and something fell on my head, right. and you go, "Well, oh, that was an accident. Nobody intended that." Yeah. But when you say, "I'm going to have sex with someone," knowing that this is an outcome, right? That's not an, an accident. There's some personal agency here. It may not have been intended, but you can't just say, oh, this is like I had no control over the situation. Yes. Unintended makes more sense to me than accidental. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I would completely because agree with uh, that. so I don't I don't really buy the the accidental. Yeah. Yeah. No, that no, I'm 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 with you on that now. OK, so we we. Need to get to euthanasia here in a minute, but <laughs> sorry, I need to. I, I think it's important to ask to ask this question, uh, and that, and for us both to, to dialogue about this a little bit. But what are some some ideas or measures? And we don't really have the ability right now, based on a, a lack of sophisticated research and b a lack of time, to really get into the details. But what are some measures or ideas that you would support to help reduce the number of abortions? Um. Okay. So. I believe, just like you, that healthcare, uh, poverty, these you have to have a holistic view. Mm-hmm. It has to be all different things. At the same time, I believe that there, if I could have, if I could dream up anything, it would be to change perceptions about responsibility and the value of children. I would, mm-hmm. I would elevate the value of children um, because right now, as much as some worlds, some suburbs are over obsessed with their children. Yeah. In other areas of our world, children are seen as a nuisance. Yeah. It's true. And and so like I'm surrounded by, you know, helicopter moms and <laughs> and everybody, you know, their their whole world revolves, everything revolves around their children to an unhealthy degree. Yeah. And yet there's huge segments of our population that look at their children as problems. Yeah. And, and when you see a child as a problem or you don't see a child as something to be cared for or to be held in honor or to be raised up with health and life, yeah. you can make different decisions. Yeah. So for me, I tend to go for the heart attitude mm-hmm. um, rather than saying, um, well, if we only make it easier for them or we make it more I think we need to do some of that for the poverty issues. I need we need to get everybody on an even playing field. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that making it easier or financially is going to change the heart. I'm really concerned about the heart. What would you so, say to that question? The the heart level thing is is critical and and I think it's so it's so funny. I think that in our modern world there's so many opportunities, both for what are you going to do with your life to how are you going to spend an evening? And with all of that opportunity comes a tendency to neglect that which matters the most. Yeah. And and that doesn't cause wickedness in our hearts, but it does reveal it in yes. some ways. And it tempts it. That because I have lots of options with how I can spend an evening, I'm less inclined to want to spend time with my kids, for example. I mean, not speaking of me personally or anybody else. And And I think there is a heart matter to say, Actually, one of the most beautiful ways I can invest my life is in caring 
for children. It's in actually setting aside my selfish desire to do something mindless or to do something work-related or to do something that sort of promotes me and kind of my own selfish way I want to live my life. And instead, invest energy, invest resources in caring for a child. Uh, I mean, that's an approach I take to my own kids, why I coach sports. Like, I want to invest in kids. I mean, those activities, anyone who's been a parent knows being a parent is stressful. Anyone who's tried to get five-year-olds to play basketball knows that that's stressful. (laughs) Why do I do it? Because I care about kids and I want to do anything I can to invest my life in kids being able to say, hey, there's a grown-up who cares. And I don't do that perfectly. But I think globally, certainly domestically, even globally, we need to raise the temperature on that, not just individually and in a family setting, but just corporately. Yeah. Now, with that, or well, let me just add on. one more yeah. thing. I want to briefly mention the idea of un, um, undue temptation. Um, if if you have money, mm-hmm. um, thievery has it has a different meaning for you. Mm-hmm. You would want to steal something for a different reason. If you are penniless and your children are dying, you mm-hmm. steal for a different reason. Yeah. There is an undue temptation to steal, uh-huh. even for what would be considered noble means. Yeah. When you start having discrepancies for poverty, mm-hmm. in lack of access to health care, things like this, and you look and you say, it is daunting for me to have this child. Right. You have created an undue temptation to want to end that pregnancy. Yeah. And everyone goes, well, that's still their choice. Yeah. yeah, but when you're making a choice with lots of options, be very careful of casting judgment on someone that has little to no options. Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it's, it comes from this, this arrogant, uh, that's the part that I keep trying to chop down. Yep. And that has such broad application to so many issues, but it's certainly relevant to, to this issue, no question. Um, and I think that's a fantastic point. Other, other ideas, uh, you look at things like paid maternity leave. The United States provides zero weeks of paid maternity leave, uh, joining with Oman and Papua New Guinea. Other countries that offer zero. Uh, we are far behind countries like China, Chad, Con- the Congo, uh, Mexico, and Iran. So there is some room for the United States to improve in offering paid maternity Can leave. Can you mention what the UK gives? Uh, the UK provides 40 weeks, according to this chart I'm looking at, of paid maternity leave. I was so, like, what in the world? Yeah, that's a long time. So I am supportive of, of paid maternity leave. I am supportive of, and, and I don't, I've not adopted a child. I, I will admit to not having a sophisticated understanding of adoption, but I am for, in general, streamlining the adoption process so that if a woman facing an un- unwanted pregnancy uh, can easily adopt the child, and I'm generally in favor of, I'm in favor of vetting, making sure yes. that we're not allowing unsafe people to adopt children, yes. but I'm in favor of seeking to reduce the financial burden. I'm obviously in favor of things like abortion tax credits and things like that. Or excuse me. Wow. I am not in favor of abortion tax credits. That was for everybody watching that you could laugh at my slip of the tongue. I am in favor of adoption. There you go. Tax credits. There we go. Definitely in favor of that. I'm in favor of, you know, people don't like Planned Parenthood and that's fine. I get it. Like I don't like Planned Parenthood either. I want to see us improve as a society of offering all of the women's health benefits and accessibility that Planned Parenthood does. I want to see us do that, do do more of that in a way that does not also promote abortion. So I want to see uh, greater access to women's uh, women's health care. I want to see 
So all the great parts of Planned Parenthood. Basically, yeah. Like, because the fact of the matter, like, listen, Planned Parenthood does awful, 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 awful things. Like, let's not be ambiguous about that. But if we're going to remove it, we need to recognize they actually do provide a valuable social service. And we need to replace that element of it. And it exists in some form, crisis pregnancy centers and and things like that. But not nearly to the scale and the scope that it needs to. So, you know, I've been kind of beating the drum on economic issues this whole time. But I'm just, I am very much in favor of, and, and these issues are complex. Again, I get that. I'm in favor of trying to do things to make having a child less of an economic issue. And I think societally, we can pay for it. I mean, it's been proven like we have money to spend on things. It's just do we have sort of, I would say, the moral will to say supporting high-risk pregnancies is more important than, say, tax cuts. I think one of the biggest struggles is you're trying, and we have to do this on a lot of issues, you're trying to not encourage it, but once it happens, you're trying to care for it. Yes. And it's like, how does that work without becoming an incentive? Oh, no. You know what I'm absolutely. saying? Absolutely. And, and yes. I think that's where things get real, real messy. That's another side of this that, that is, is very challenging. Okay. 52 minutes into an hour-long episode, <laughs> we have definitely not solved the abortion question, but we're going to move on to euthanasia real quick. How are we defining euthanasia? Um, the way that I would define euthanasia, and, and I think I should have gone back to a, a definition from the dictionary, which I had. I think I think I think I sent that to you and then I lost it. I think you did. Um, but anyway, the idea of an assisted um, ability for someone to pass away, for someone to die. Yeah. It's it's helping someone die is euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Right now, the, the, that can go from everything from what's called. Um, if you remember the the Dr. Kevorkian yeah. guy <laughs> where people would be able to say, um, hey, I want to take my own life. The problem is I can't. Right. And you go, what do you mean you can't take your own life? Well, literally, if I'm um, if I have Lou Gehrig's disease and I am completely paralyzed, I can only move my eyes and say yes and no with a blink. And I said, I don't want to live anymore. I literally cannot take my own life. There is nothing for me to do, but I don't want to live anymore. So I'm going to ask someone to assist me. Mm -hmm. Those are called mercy killings, things like that um, in different ways. Um, But euthanasia has also been used in a sense of in the past, in an unhealthy way, like with genocide, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. uh, we don't like this group of people, so they're kind of, we're just going to say that they need to be helped to be removed. Right. That's kind of that Hitler <laughs> mentality, and yeah. you start getting into creepy evil, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, as I mentioned before, the suicide concept, um, that the only difference between suicide and euthanasia is assisted versus unassisted. Yeah. That's all. Right. Absolutely. So what are some factors we need to consider uh, when we're thinking about the appropriateness or inappropriateness of of euthanasia? Yeah, I think that uh, right off the bat, we have the sanctity of life issue. The do you have a right to do that? Um, The idea of if you say the quality of life is low, because that's usually what happens. People Mm -hmm. say, I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. That is the phrase, like this. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you have extreme headaches that um, you cannot control and every day is like torture. Um, you said, my quality of life, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. Um, what is the difference between that and somebody saying, I have extreme bipolar depressive disorder and every day is torture right. to live. I don't want to live like this. So quality of life 
that's where it starts tying into what is quality of life, yeah. right? Um, what is the purpose of life? Yeah. Um, if the purpose of life is to thrive and it's primarily about us, mm-hmm. um, those arguments make much more sense. Yeah. If, if the reason why we are here is to have relationship with God and bring his glory, suddenly the whole conversation shifts. Right. Um, it, it starts talking about the issue of suffering, mm-hmm. um, that some people try to say that all suffering is evil. I think that suffering has been caused by evil. I yeah. don't think that that's what God originally wanted in the garden. There was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. Right. Uh, we opted a different route, mm-hmm. and so we now have suffering. That is what God is trying to not trying to. He's in the process of reconciling right. and fixing. Yeah. But is suffering to be avoided? Is suffering to be leaned into? Is all suffering bad? Yeah. These are the issues that swirl around this. Yeah. Is there such a thing as needless suffering? Right. Right. And 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 to say that, you know, once again, to go back through quality of life with me being around all these children with disabilities, yeah. um, other people would argue they do not have a quality of life. There was just a... Um, a front page uh, Yahoo article about a little boy that the court system said that his plug needed to be pulled despite the parents' yeah. uh, pleas for mercy. Yeah. And, and a court, a state court made the decision. Yeah, that was tough. Um, to, to say he does not live anymore because of quality of life. Yeah. We have had a lot of those around us at Bridgeway. Right. Um, do not resuscitate issues. Yeah. Um, issues of, I don't want to live like this you need to remove my plug, uh, mm-hmm. wills and decisions. Those are all, and you say, here, here's where people also forget things. We do a lot in our world to keep people alive yes. that would otherwise die. Yep. That messy, messes the whole thing up. Oh, yeah. Because if you are out in the wilderness and what happened to you happened to you and you were not accessed to a hospital, you would die. Yeah, but since you got to the hospital, we put you on a breathing machine. Yeah, you say things like, "Oh, well, if you take him off the machine, I mean, aren't you playing God in that situation?" I think you could just as easily say, "You played God the moment you brought him to the hospital." Absolutely, you know? <laughs> so. and this is why this is why I think we need to have this conversation. Yeah, because everybody loves the clean cut. I'm against this. I'm for this. Yeah. We're not living consistently. We're not thinking consistently. No, the idea that you would even have someone go clear and hit the paddles, you just played God. Right. Right? Yeah. And in a lot of, I mean, praise the Lord for that technology. I agree. Praise the Lord for the fact that there are people who are alive today because of, of, of extraordinary medical care that they were able to receive that actually was healing in the sense that they got better and are now able to actually live their lives. Like that's phenomenal. That I, don't is think either, phenomenal. I don't think either one of us are saying that that's a problem or that just because we would call that quote unquote playing God in some manner that it's necessarily bad. It's wonderful. No. And, and so I think that if we're going to say that we at least need to allow the ramifications of that to enter into all the rest of our conversations. Yeah. Right. So yeah. when we start saying, um, uh, whose right is it? Yeah. Right. So it does a person that is in, uh, chronic pain 
do people that do not have chronic pain have right over the person that's in the chronic pain to be able to take their own life? Uh, So one thing I wanted to share real quick before we close out on this, Mm -hmm. I want to scoop into the issue of suicide real fast. I actually got this question just a few days ago, and that's why it's very fresh in my mind. I've been asked this question many, many times, and that is, there is a traditional Catholic view that suicide is an unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all due respect, and I believe that that Jesus flows in the Catholic Church. I, I think that there are so many beautiful things about the Catholic Church. There are certain views I disagree with. Sure. So I want to I have high respect here, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say under biblical analysis, suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Is it a sin? I think any time that you violate God's will, that's a sin. So what did God think about it? I don't know. Is it probably a sin? Yep. Are we all going to die with sin on us? Yep. Why are we going to go to heaven? Not because we were moral, but because Jesus Christ died for that sin. Right. So I want to be very clear with people that have a loved one that they have lost due to suicide, and they're like, they're automatically in hell. Please be careful on that, because that is not actually biblically supported, and I don't want you to carry an undue burden. Now, I also want to be clear to those that are saying, oh, well, then that means it's okay. Yeah. We still have to answer to the Lord for decisions that we make. Mm-hmm. And if God is not pleased with our decisions, then we must not do them. Right. So I just want to cause those two balances. Yep. That's, that's super important. And I would completely agree with you on that. There are a couple of, as we're, we're, I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but I, I want to go back to the euthanasia subject just briefly, because uh, this is where sort of my um, holistic pro-life credentials probably get called into question the most because of issues like end of life care and yeah. things like that. Uh, you look at even, even statistics, things like this, that this is from an article I read, 30% of all Medicare expenditures are attributed to the 5% of beneficiaries that die each year with one third of that cost occurring in the last month of life. One third of that 30% of all Medicare expenses are in the last month of life. That there is such an extraordinary cost burden on the final weeks and months of life uh, that is a real, I mean, that to me creates some some questions. Now, my dad is a physician and he and I have discussed these issues. He says that if you could identify when the last year of life begins, <laughs> these questions would be a lot easier to answer. But the reason why we spend so much money is because we don't necessarily know when the last year of life begins. A lot of medical the, is guesswork. The, the, and it's not even so much guesswork as much, much as it is we're trying these things for the purpose of healing and they may or may not work. So, so there's that. And it's, there are, they are complex, but I do think that when you get to end of life situations, when there are terminal diagnoses and multiple medical professionals weigh in and say, yes, this person has say six months or less to live. I I don't see it as a violation of the sanctity of life to then say that that person has the right to choose, you know, I would choose to end my life as opposed to live out these final days with needless suffering. And you could say, well, wait, what God can heal and God can do all that. And that's certainly true. But I don't, I think you can hold those ideas in tension to say, do I believe that God heals and God can heal somebody? Yes, absolutely. But I've just, I, I have not seen it much in my personal life with, with people that are close to me. But I've seen it enough and I've seen it in, those, in, in people that I love and their loved ones where there was just so much needless suffering at the end 
that a person should, in my opinion, have the right to have some say when that happens. Now, that needs to be protected. That needs to be the choice of the individual. And a lot of where this gets messy is we say, well, it's individual choice, but you've got nine people pressuring you. Like that's, that's not good. But I think there needs to be some allowance to say, okay, we're going to save this person a bunch of pain and suffering in the last weeks of their lives by just allowing them to say, I'm ready. If so. you go back to one of our prior podcasts, I believe it was the first part, um, when I was discussing my views on life and death, I don't believe that merely staying physically alive is the point. Yeah. I, I, um, when I talk about quality of life, I talk about it, f- in my mind, from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, what God wants needs to be the case. Yeah. Um, in many, in, in in every circumstance, but where we can determine it, right? But but the idea that we say, well, that person must live. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not quite sure that that is an appropriate view, mm-hmm. because for the Lord, Paul said, to be here's good, to go with Him is better. Yeah. And this whole idea of at all costs we must remain living on this planet. Yeah. I think negates a deeper reality of saying, actually, we're heading from glory to glory. Yeah. You can have a high value on the preservation of life and the protection yes. of life while at the same time saying, because this life is not all there is, there, there can come a time where we say, okay, we're, we're entrusting this person into God's hands, or even to say, I'm trusting my own life into God's hands if you're in the end and, and you have a diagnosis yourself. And we can mourn, we can grieve, but as First Thessalonians says, we grieve not as those with no hope. And in a sense, we can celebrate that person's passage into glory. And there is a hope in that, that, that those who, 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 who don't share our faith don't have. And in a sense, we can be a witness to the world in those moments. I, I freely admit I'm speaking largely from theory here. And for those who have walked that road, I know it's very sensitive. Um, but I know there are a lot of people that would walk that road that would, would agree with that sentiment. Yeah. So. One other last piece, just to tie it in with our, um, our miscarriage, uh, abortion uh, discussion earlier. I've been asked that question a lot. What about unborn babies? Do they go to heaven? Yeah. I get asked that as a pastor. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that the biblical evidence leans into, yes, they do, mm-hmm. and that they're safe in the hands of God. Amen. So I tend to have a little bit more lenient view on a lot of things yep. because I know that our God has to take care of our atrocity. Yep. And so anyway, wherever I tend to lean more liberal on any of these issues, it's because of my high view of God, mm-hmm. believing that he is very, very protective of the innocent. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this has been quite the series. <laughs> this has been quite the uh, uh, just conversation today. Hope that for those of you that listened, it was beneficial. Thank you, Lance, as always, for your time and your wisdom. Want to say uh, thank you, of course, to Lucian Hughes, our very, very capable audio engineer. Right behind the glass. Right behind the glass. That's right. We're hoping for a game four victory for the Sharks. At least he is. Want to thank Jeff Eberhardt, who is filling in as our video director today. Somehow, Brennan Stewart thinks that just because he graduated college, he can take a vacation. But congratulations, Brennan. Congratulations, Brennan. We're proud of you. We appreciate all your hard work. Jeff, thanks for filling in. Thanks to the rest of you for listening. We hope that this helps you think through these very, 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 very important issues in a nuanced way. Can encourage you to continue to research, dig deeper, study, seek to understand, and uh, have conversations that are respectful and helpful with, uh, with people that you love and maybe 
people that think differently than you. We are hopefully going to be back in two weeks with another episode of the Engaging Culture Podcast. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.